Oh, good to see all you guys this morning. Um, I want to um, begin by, uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but I want to address this in order to sort of set the table for us this morning. Um, there has been, uh, over the past year or so, and particularly over the last month, there have been a whole lot of scandals that involve some of the same stuff. Uh, people in high positions of authority, uh, um, abusing their power a lot of times uh, um, in, in the sexual arena uh, with harassment and different things like this. And, and over the past month especially, this has been highlighted in the church itself. And I don't want to get into specifics, but uh, I know a lot of you guys, I'm sure, have seen it in the news um, and, uh, or online all over the place. There's one case that's been very, very high profile, and it has just aftershocks. It's a tragic situation of a, a, a pastor falling in some really bad ways and just devastating a lot of lives around him. And um, as we've been discussing this kind of thing in our own leadership team, um, it's just made us go back and examine, you know, there's no temptation that's not common to man. And so looking at, at the, the temptations of, of power, of, of wealth, of sex, these are all across the board common temptations. And, and uh, I think the reason why we see uh, this happens so often with people at the top uh, of, of, you know, authority chain or big institutions or mega churches or whatever. I think the reason we see that um, isn't because they're especially bad people, but it's because they have formed over years of their life layers of insulation where the, out, where the world is, has no access to them. And where, where they do not let other people see what's in their lives and they certainly don't accept any criticism from the outside. And so this happens very easily in institutions, in governments, uh, uh, people in, in high profile or, you know, big, big money uh, businesses, this kind of thing. But that, it doesn't just happen automatically. I think a lot of times what happens is people develop these bad habits early in their life, um, and then they desire these positions, and then they realize these positions come with sort of like an awe factor. And they're like, hey, this is nice. This creates more distance, and they feel safe then uh, uh, to do things that they might never normally do, and they succumb to different temptations, and it ends up wiping, wiping those around them out. So anyway, as we've talked about this kind of thing, this kind of phenomenon, it's just encouraging us all the more um, to be very, very open and vulnerable with one another on the pastoral leadership team, with the elders, and with you guys. And that's not, not going to be a surprise to you if you've been around us much, as we really stress and desire to live in a way where we can be really authentic, where we can be real with one another, and where we can call one another out when we see danger. Um, and that's, that's just something we've endeavored to do for a while, and this I don't think we're in any sort of defensive posture here, but uh, it's just made us look and go, okay, so what can we do in our own lives, and how can we help one another, and how can we help be better leaders um, in this, uh, this environment? And so um, what we've endeavored to do is to have open lives and, and to, to, to refuse to create these layers of insulation, to refuse to have these defensive things. And it happens a lot in churches um, I think because there's this sort of mentality, we call it the man of God syndrome. Or, that person's the man of God. You don't question the man of God. And maybe you're concerned about something. That's weird. That, that's weird what that person's doing. And normally I would think that's maybe out of bounds. But he's the man of God. 
And when a person gets that kind of treatment, then what happens is they end up making a massive mess of things a whole lot of times. And so we don't want that to be a thing. We want to like, we're just people. (laughs) We're just people. And so we open our lives up to one another. One thing Joshua brought to our leadership team years ago was this emphasis on brave communication. And that is, we are willing to confront one another. We're willing to ask each other the hard questions and say, you know what, I'm concerned about this area of your life. You said this thing the other day. That was kind of a red flag, but maybe I misinterpreted. What do you think about that? And be able to have those kinds of conversations and give one another access, give our eldership access and give you guys access to the same thing. So I want you to know, this is, this is the way that we are really trying hard to live. And I want to sort of invite you guys into that with one another. Because here's the thing. Nobody starts out desiring to blow their lives up and the lives of a whole bunch of other people. They don't set out to do that. So these, these uh, practices of insulation and of, of creating distance so that you can, uh, like, though, that happens actually early on. I think those habits happen uh, uh, early on. We develop those things by how open and vulnerable we are with people. If you begin to push people away like that, uh, uh, when you don't have a lot of influence, then more influence isn't going to help that. In fact, it will probably perpetuate those things. So from a system standpoint, I want you to know that we think a lot about that and we, we, we uh, uh, ha- you know, have a way that, that we work with one another on that. But on an individual level is what I want to mainly talk about this morning. The importance of community and in having open hearts with one another and giving one another access and permission to speak into our lives. Are you with me? All right, we're going to dive in then this morning. The question is, who needs community? And it's going to be an obvious answer for you. We all do. We all need to live in such a way where we're not pushing other people away. We need to uh, uh, embrace an accountability that comes with community. The Apostle Paul said it in Galatians 6. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual... Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself that you too will not be tempted. So to deal with things that go on in our lives and the lives of one another. And, and, and then to be honest and humble about our own shortcomings. This is, this is what the church is supposed to be for one another. And again, I'm not just talking about pastoral staff, eldership. I'm talking about all of us. This is what we are called to be a part of, to be a part of a group that, that cares enough to look out for each other. Um, that's a, a sort of a built-in built in mechanism of Christian community. Let me give you a wonderful quote by one of my heroes, Tim Keller. He says this, everyone says they want community and friendship, but mention accountability or commitment to people, and they run the other way. I think this is true. And I find it fascinating that nowadays so many people will hold up this ideal of community and say, I really want to be a part of a community. But see, the the problem is that's at odds with sort of the value system that we live in here in America, which is individualism over everything. Remember that the the, the main religion of Western civilization is the worship of me, right? And so that thing, our true selves, trumps everything. And so then you wind up in this sort of like, I want community as long as it's all about me. And that doesn't work. I want community as long as you get to celebrate everything I want in this particular moment. I saw a a striking example of that this week. Maybe some of you guys saw this story. It happened on social media. Fascinating. This woman, young woman, Apparently, very smart woman, 
gets excited. Okay, I don't know her name. I don't know anything about her. But she got excited because she just won an intern, not won, but she just earned an internship with NASA. So she was thrilled, right, like any of us would be if you're in that field. And she takes to social media to tell everybody about it, which is what we do when something exciting happens, right? So she wants to tell the world about this. Now, in the middle of telling the world about NASA, she used some very colorful language. Young people, when you post something on social media, everybody can see it. The whole world can see it. She posts this thing. And uh, so she's not thinking much about it. I don't think she had any ill intent, but she just used some language she shouldn't use. Now, in the meantime, the, this, this man sees it. He's in his 70s, and his name is Homer Hickam. Anybody know that name? Maybe that sounds a little bit familiar. Homer Hickam was uh, a man who wrote a no not a novel. It was a, a memoir called Rocket Boys. And Rocket Boys became a movie called October Sky. Yeah, you're like, oh, now, right? Really good movie. That was his story about himself. Homer Hickam is this legendary figure with NASA who had, he had been the son of a coal miner in West Virginia, very poor, destitute town, and he had made rockets as a boy and got into rocketry, and he won these awards with his friends at school, and then he ends up living his dream, becoming a NASA engineer. Okay, so he's like this ambassador for NASA. So Homer Hickam sees this tweet, and he, in his mind, he's like, he, he shared about this later. In his mind, he's thinking, look, I, I was in Vietnam. Like, I'm, I'm not sensitive to, to bad language. But I was concerned for her because I know that NASA watches their Twitter account. And they're not going to like the word NASA and this other word that she used to be in such close proximity. So, being a kind man, he responds to her tweet with one word. Language. She came unglued. She was so offended at being called out that she goes from using, you know, colorful language to going full-on, like, obscene in her response. And it was like, you've got to be kidding. She didn't know who Homer Hickam was. She didn't know who she was responding to. But the whole world can see these tweets. So she responds that way. Her friends also jump in. And here was the nature of the response. The nature of the response was, how dare you tell her what she can and can't say? She can say whatever she wants. She just got, she just got an internship with NASA. Huh? Well, they pile on. And NASA also has a social media person who reads these tweets. And soon NASA informs this young woman that she will not be getting that internship after all. Ouch. The whole thing's embarrassing, isn't it? I was like embarrassed as I'm reading this. I'm like, oh no, stop, stop. Now there's, looks like there might be a good end to the story because Homer Hickam's actually reached out to NASA and to the young lady and saying, can you give her another chance here? Like she didn't mean anything by it. Like he's, he's being an ambassador even in this thing. So, you know. He's trying. The th here's the thing that struck me, okay? The thing that struck me is, why in the world was she so aghast at being called out? Why was that this unthinkable thing that somebody should do, could do? He's trying to protect her career. But she was so offended that anyone would dare say, you know, it's not a good idea to use that language. Like, that, was, that to her was unthinkable. Do you see? I think she's proving the point of what Keller's trying to say here. You want community, and in this case, this was a <laughs> big community. NASA, yes, I want to be a part. 
but don't you dare tell me what words I can and can't say. Maybe an extreme example? I don't think so. I think this is kind of normal. This is sort of the way it is. Here's my concern for this lady, and I hope she's learned her lesson. I hope she gets the internship, and, and she apologizes. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. You know, I really do, but I'm concerned that if she didn't learn her lesson, then she might someday get in a place where she continues to tell people, oh, no, you're not going to call me out. Oh, no, you don't have that right. Oh, no, I'm going to use whatever language I want. Oh, don't you dare. Do you see that? That's concerning. That's concerning. And it's when you have that attitude, when you don't have influence, that it becomes very scary when you get influence. Because talk about insulation then. Talk about, hey, I'm above the fray. And that's a scary thing. Those in community must be humble enough to accept the challenges from those who care about them. We're the called out ones. That's what church means, right? So in the church, the called out ones must be willing to be called out once in a while. See what I did there? Did you see that? Do you like that? All right. Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but uh, deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You know, it was Solomon that said that. Solomon's dad, David, and even his grandfather, Saul, they both had someone in their life who was able to call them out. Ironically, Solomon didn't. Solomon never really let that happen. You remember what happened with David? David, um, <laughs> yeah, David, he, he made a mistake. You guys all know the mistake. You know, just a little itsy-bitsy mistake of stealing one of his best friend's wives and then killing him in the process. Just a little itsy-bitsy one. He thought he had gotten away with it. It was horrible. Just absolutely horrible what he did. So talk about scandal. Um, this was absolutely a terrible thing he had done. He had, had all, he had many wives, he had many concubines, which was never even sanctioned in the law, but he just did it because he was David. He had reached this, this level, talk about the man of God syndrome. Hey, I am the one who's anointed, and so here I am, and nothing I do can be challenged. Well, he had reached that place in his heart, and he sees this woman, and it's his friend's wife, his dear, loyal friend. It's his wife. He doesn't care. He takes her. And then he, he, he kills him. It's a horrible thing, so he thinks he's gotten away with it. Well, we probably remember the scene. David had a man in his life who he let talk to him. His name was Nathan. Nathan comes to him one day and says, hey, how are you doing? I got to tell you a story. Can I tell you something that happened? He's like, yeah, go for it. Well, it's just these guys and they live up way down the hill. Well, forget it. That's not important where they live, but two neighbors, right? There's this poor neighbor and a really rich neighbor. David's like, yeah, tell me about it. Well, the poor neighbor had one sheep, okay? One sheep. They called him Fufu. Really cute sheep. Had a little bell around, little little bow. Adorable. David was like, oh, I love this. I love Fufu. He goes, everyone loves Fufu. None of this is in there. You understand that, right? <laughs> so then this neighbor, his neighbor had a whole bunch of sheep. He didn't name a single one. He's had tons of sheep. He had lots of sheep. Everyone loves sheep. Okay, what about it? Well, the neighbor, the, the guy with lots of sheep, has a guest. And he, he's like, well, what do I feed the guest? And he gets it in his mind. I need to feed him a nice MLT sandwich, mutton, lettuce, and tomato. With a, Mutton is nice and lean. It's so perky. I love that. There you go. Thank you. About half of you guys got that joke. A little less, I think, than the first service. Anyway, he wants to make him some mutton, 
So he's got all these sheep, but instead of going there, he goes and gets after Fufu. Can you believe it, your highness? He got Fufu. He killed Fufu, and he fed Fufu to his guest. And David's like, are you kidding me? Not Fufu. I loved Fufu. Everybody loved Fufu. He took Fufu, and he killed Fufu when he had lots of sheep? Yeah. Now, David, now you can see this coming a, a mile away when you're reading this in the text. This is brilliant literature. He's setting this trap for David. He's like, <laughs> and David is just blindly walking right into it, right? He's like, tell me who he is because I'm ticked off. This guy will rot in my dungeon. Who is he, Nathan? And Nathan says, uh, he's you, David. You are the man. I don't mean like you're the man. I mean you are that man. <laughs> He's like, look what you did with Bathsheba. Look what you did with Uriah the Hittite. And God is not pleased with this, David. He's furious. And here's what's going to happen. That sword is never going to depart from your house now. You're always going to, God is not happy with this. There's punishments. There's, there, there are ripples to this, David. They're going to last for your entire reign. This is bad, dude. One thing that struck me as I was reflecting on that story this week was that David and many monarchs of the age would have just had him sent away or killed for that. Like, he could have covered up the crime here. As one guy knows, the prophet knows, because God told him, so let's just get rid of him. David didn't. David didn't. He actually heard what he said, and he completely turned. He completely repented. It was a horrible thing he'd done, and he never did recover from it. He destroyed so many lives in the process. But he turned when he heard it, and he accepted. You know why? Because he understood what Solomon says. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Nathan was willing to wound him. This is what we're, this is what we're invited into. Are you willing to wound your friend? Are you willing to be wounded by someone who truly loves you? Because if you're not inviting that on some level, then you're not partaking in the fullness of the community that Jesus has offered that's called the church. If you're trying to insulate yourself from critique, if you're trying to insulate yourself from transparency, you're going to end up hurting yourself and a lot of people in the process. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. We all need Christian community. We need this thing called church. I'm not talking about this service. It's good that we are here and worship together. But we are the people of God and we need one another. He's called us to be, to, he's called us to be community. Not just to come to worship once a week, but to be community where we actually get in one another's lives. Why we need Christian community? First for correction. This is what we're talking about already this morning. Do you have this in your life? My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Praise God. This is what he's asked us to do, to go after one another, to, to be a protective force for one another, that we can come in and we can step in and say, brother, sister, I love you and I'm concerned about this area. Don't go down this road. Don't go down this path. This is a beautiful thing that we have been asked to do. 
and it covers death and a multitude of sins. There is great protection among the saints if we'll adopt this posture of humility and let one another in. Caveat here. If you love, love, love giving correction to people, you might want to not do it as much as you want to do. Because it might be a thing. This is one of the reasons why people are afraid to do that kind of thing. Because they're afraid, well, if I tell you this fault, then you're just going to hammer me with it. Yeah, don't hammer people. If you want to come in and make the correction, you, then, then we need to be tempered by the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, when is right to talk and when's right not to talk? Because I know I can't be your, your, the holiness police. You haven't called me to be that thing. So if that's you, I want to encourage you, talk to God about that. It is good to have the ability it's, it's, and, and to not shrink back from it. In fact, I would say it uh, uh, this way. Uh, <laughs> we're not to fear confrontation, but neither should we revel in it. Yeah? All right. That's enough for that caveat. We need Christian community also for confession. I'm, I'm majoring on the C's this morning, by the way. Did you follow me there, Davis? Here with me. For confession... Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. It's funny how confession is uh, uh, something that Catholics hold very dear. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons why we Protestants haven't held it very dear. It's like, well, it's sort of a Catholic thing. It's not. Catholics practice, practice that a certain way. I understand. I'm talking to a priest. I don't think we need to do that. But we sometimes just jump into, straight into like, well, I'll, I'll just confess it to myself. What does that do? <laughs> Confess it to yourself. Look, well, I don't need to do that. That's a Catholic. No, it's not. This is a New Testament thing. Confess your sins to one another. I'm not a name it, claim it theology guy, to be honest with you. But in this regard, I am. You name your sin. You claim responsibility for your sin. If you just think about it, that doesn't do anything. But to say it, because it takes humility to say it. It stretches you to say it. It's a way of saying, I am guilty, and would you pray that I could be restored? Do you do that? Do you have someone in your life? Do you have people in your life that you can confess to? Because this is what the Lord offers us in the church. There's safety of correction. There's safety to confess to one another. And it's a beautiful thing to do it together. We also need Christian community for collaboration. Here's a verse that we hear only in weddings a lot of times. <laughs> so we're so funny. Two are better than one. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. See, this isn't just a wedding verse. This is a verse about life. You were not meant to be alone. That's another verse that's only used for weddings. You were not meant to be by yourself. You were meant to have others along in the journey. You know why? Because two is better than one. Because they have strengths that you don't have. They, they uh, uh, have encouragement that you need. I, 
This is the, the most obvious, I think, of all of these points. And I think instinctively we know it's true, uh, but it's, it's, it's hard to do sometimes. I was thinking about that this morning as I was, I was reflecting back. I've talked about this a few times in here, but reflecting back on that 5K that we ran last April, that a lot of you guys ran with us because we had it, uh, it was for a run for autism and we had like 60 or 70 guys show up in these blue flapjack shirts and, and we all ran, and it was like amazing. Well, leading up to that, I had to, you know, start running, <laughs> a thing that I need to start doing again, apparently, and uh, it's to start running to where I could actually run a 5K. I've never done that before. And so as I'm getting ready for that in the weeks and leading up to it, I'm like, you know, I, I'm not going to run this fast. I know that. I'm going to be pretty slow. But that's okay. I just want to finish it. That's it. That's my goal is to not stop and walk today. So I started running it, and I accomplished my goal. I didn't ever stop, and it was great. But when I got to the end, here's what I saw. My average mile pace was a full minute lower than what I had previously done. A whole minute lower. Now, how did that happen? Here's how it happened. It's so obvious to me how it happened. I was running with a bunch of people that loved me. I was surrounded. I had this squad. I had a squad. You hear that, millennials? I had a squad. I had this group of people. That was for you, Joe. I had this group of people. I had Bo Kelson. I had Micah Kelson. I had Aaron Oaks, I had Josiah and Callie Starr, I had Brian Slater, I had other people running with me the entire time. And they're like encouraging me, encouraging one another, and here we are going. And they're going faster than I normally go, but like, you can do it, you, can get, I'm, you know what's happening? I did it. And all of us just did it. And we all ran together and nobody had to stop and nobody died. It was great. It was fantastic. A little, very obvious example, but that's what happens when we open ourselves up for real collaboration and companionship in the kingdom of God. We do better than we would do alone. Some of you guys, I think, are trying to do it alone, and it's hard. I know that's, it sounds risky to, like, invite people in for all of these things, and it is risky. But you guys, it's worth it, because you weren't meant to try to do this by yourselves. You just weren't. It was never his intention. Finally, Celebration. You're following along. That's four C's. I'm so proud of myself. Correction. Confession. Collaboration. Celebration. Amen. I feel very Baptist this morning. <laughs> I love this. There's, there's three uh, parables all about lost things all together in the New Testament. In Luke 15, here's one of them. What woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp, and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which is lost. And every one of these parables, that's how the parable ends. Rejoice with me! This thing that was, that was lost is now found. Rejoice! That happens in the story of the prodigal son too. Rejoice! And the big twist in the prodigal son is there's one person who doesn't rejoice, and that's the brother. It's like, why are you not rejoicing? Celebration is a team sport. Celebration is meant to be shared. Rejoicing is a thing that's meant to be done together. I mentioned this uh, several months ago when I was thinking about this. I always think about the Muppet movie that came out like 10 years ago. 
Amy Adams, and she has a scene when her boyfriend's paying more attention to the Muppets than to her. Yes, I'm talking about the Muppets in a Sunday morning sermon. Yes, I am, in case you're wondering. She, she feels all sad, so she goes, and she goes to the diner, and she's just going to have her little date by herself. So she, she sings a song about having a me party, and she's all dancing, like, this is so wonderful, having a me party. And it's really funny, because it's ironic, because you know she's not happy. She's actually miserable and missing her boyfriend, but here she is trying to do it all on her own. Me parties are really, really hard to have. They're kind of miserable. It's kind of sad. Invite people into the celebration. Now, this has been a hard, I'll be honest with you, I, I haven't been very good at this. It's been like a hard thing to remember of like, dude, celebration needs to be shared. Because I can sometimes get in the sort of melancholy place, you know, of just like, it's like sharing things that are, man, things are hard. And I don't mean to, but it's like you can get sort of stuck in that thing. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to do that like I do, you at very least also need to invite people in on the celebration. You have to do it for your own sake and for theirs because otherwise you're going to depress them too. <laughs> Experience. So this is what, what I encourage is this, that we look for reasons to celebrate and then we, we, we share them. That, that can become part of the rhythm of what it means to be somebody in the body of Christ. That, that we're not miserable people, that we share things. In fact, we look for excuses to party. Can I, can I share an excuse to party this morning? It's not going to be quite as cool. Thank you. It's not going to be quite as cool as earlier this morning because my son was actually in here when this happened. But well, a couple weeks ago, Ethan and Joshua and some of us were, were in Montana and my wife sent me this video and I was so excited to see this video and I was sharing it with all the guys around there because I'm like, this needs to be shared. And I told her, you need to share this on Facebook. This is so awesome. And, uh, and as some of you guys know, my son, uh, Jack, who's severely autistic, um, in January had uh, decompression brain surgery because he was losing all of this functionality in his limbs, right? So... It was, and it was weird, and it was just one of these crazy things. So he had surgery, and we weren't sure if he was going to, you know, what he might regain as far as his mobility. And uh, so she took him to get air, uh, and uh, this is what happened. He was in the first service, and he watched this, and it was the coolest thing ever. So anyway, but this is the video. You're doing great, Jack.
I wish you guys could have seen his face this morning as he sat in and watched that video. He was clapping for himself and looking all around. And it's so great to see him proud of his own accomplishments. You just don't see that from him, and it was beautiful. So thank you that we could share that, and you could celebrate along with us, because it's a beautiful thing, and this is part of what we get to do here, is not only share the hard things, and sometimes we do have to confront, and sometimes we do have to confess, but we can celebrate too, see? We're people of celebration. We're people of the way. We've got the Holy Spirit with us. We've got God with us, and we're going to link arms and walk together and not be alone in anymore. That's what we get to be called to, guys. We're a family. That's who we are. So let me ask you, who are your people? Do you have people that you can share these things with? Do you have people that that can speak into your life even if they have to wound you? Do you have people in your life that you can celebrate with even if it's just like, hey, I made it across the thing, man. It was awesome. Do you have people that you can do that with? Many of you do and are great at this, but some of you I know are fearful of that for a whole bunch of reasons, and I totally get it, man. I do. Believe me, I get it. Sometimes I think we do it because we're waiting for that perfect person to share with, you know? I need someone to speak in my life, but this has to be somebody who's really got life down. Like this a person who has perfect wisdom and, and perfect in their righteousness. Guys, you're going to have to find another church if that's what you're looking for. Because we're a mess here, okay? We're kind of a mess. All of us are broken people who have been redeemed and are still being redeemed to Jesus Christ, okay? That's who we are. So what I'm saying is that you're in good company because if you feel like a mess, hey, that's great. We're all a mess. So let's work this out together. So please don't let idealism get in the way of what could be real intimacy and healing in your own life. Don't let that happen. So I want to encourage you, if that's you, make that connection you've been thinking about making. Invite people into your life, even if you're not totally sure. I'm not saying spill your life story before you know if you can trust them. Obviously, wisdom plays a part in this. But please make those connections because sometimes those connections become a little connection. Somebody you just talked with at supper club one time and you really liked them. Great. Maybe you got in the car one day after, uh, uh, after a Sunday morning. You're like, man, I like those people. We should have them over sometime. Do it. Do it. You might become best friends. You might not. Who cares? They're the people of God. Invite them in. Take the risk. Take the risk, guys. Risks are worth it. Take the risk. This is the people of God. This is what he's invited us on, inviting us into is to be part of his family. Well, we're broken, but he's redeeming us, and it's happening not not in isolation, but together. You see, not in isolation anymore. You don't have to be alone anymore, guys. It happens together. People of God, let's stand up. The prayer servant team is, is coming up right now. They're gonna be here if you need prayer. Maybe you need prayer, you just need, to, you need prayer for courage in that. Come up and get it, whatever it is. Lord Jesus, I do pray for courage. I pray that we could all have courage. Lord, courage to entrust our hearts, courage to open our hearts to other people. Courage to speak hope and life into one another and to receive hope and life. Maybe even, yes, correction. Give us courage for that, Lord, because we need it. We all need it. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your beautiful bride. We thank you for your church. Help us, Lord, to model what you intended. Help us to love one another with the grace, with the compassion, Lord, that you yourself have. 
Give us the courage of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Prayer servant team is up. Come get prayer. Be blessed, guys. Thank you.